<laughs> Firstly, I must give all the praise and glory and credit for what I bring to you, to the Lord, because my usual preparation time has now, because of change of life circumstances, become the time when I can get four hours of sleep. That was normally my inspiration time from the Lord. So it's down to him that there's anything on these sheets of paper. This morning, I'd like to focus on the topic of healing. I don't know what healing means to each one of you. We've probably all got different ideas, but this is what I bring. In the beginning, there was no need for God to heal. We see in chapter 2 of Genesis that Adam and later Eve had an idyllic environment with a good working relationship with God. He was protecting them by the one prohibition that they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Whilst they were obedient and trusting, all was fine. However, the moment they decided to disobey him, everything changed. And he rewrote the rules for the whole of humankind. He introduced the concept of pain and death. The prospect of immortality vanished as Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. There are some instances of healings recorded in the Old Testament, but on the whole, the hygiene code of exclusion from society was the general method of protecting the population from disease and infection. Fast forward hundreds of years and the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and God was giving humankind a second chance of a relationship with him. Jesus' ministry of preaching the good news of the kingdom of God was underpinned with the willingness to heal the sick. He ministered to the entire human condition, body, mind, soul and spirit. He was able to determine the root cause of the problem. Sometimes he indicated to the sufferer where they needed to change the way in which they lived. But he did not subscribe to the blanket opinion that sin was always the root cause of the disease or illness. Jesus was in constant communication with God, his Father, and at the end of a tiring time of ministering to human need, he himself felt the necessity to go to a solitary place to pray and to recharge his batteries. For all that he had the power, as God supplied, he had the physical limitations of a human body. He knew how it felt to be utterly exhausted by the demands of crowds of sick people. Indeed, he felt power go out from him as the woman with the issue of blood touched his garment. People approached Jesus for healing and he responded to whatever degree of faith they displayed. 
In Matthew 15, we read a Canaanite woman. Now, that's not one of the flock. A Canaanite woman was one of the excluded group. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, Send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed that very hour. Conversely, when Jesus was in his own town, people were offended at his ministry. They knew who he was. He was Mary's son, the carpenter. And because of their lack of faith, he was unable to do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Jesus taught his disciples and encouraged them to go out, preaching the good news and healing the sick. But in Matthew 15 we read that a man brought his son to Jesus, saying, that the boy suffered from seizures, calling him to fall into fire or water. He'd brought him to the disciples, but they couldn't cure him. Jesus rebuked the demon, which promptly left the boy who was healed. Later, the disciples asked Jesus in private why they had been unable to heal the boy and to drive out the demon. Jesus responded, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. There was no one-size-fits-all to the methods that Jesus employed in his healings. He used touch, mud and spittle, direct confrontation and verbal command to demons, telling lepers to show themselves to the priest, and their healing occurred as they walked away calling Lazarus to come out of his tomb as he had been raised from laying dead for four days, and distanced healing when the Roman centurion asked Jesus to heal his servant, saying, Say the word, and my servant will be healed. In response to this, Jesus said to the people, 
I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. Faith appears to be the great catalyst. It is central to healing. After all, why would you expect something to happen if you didn't believe that it was going to happen? Now that's something to think about, isn't it? Where is your perception? Where is your belief? You can't have a belief and a faith. And if you think it's not going to happen, then it's not there. So think on that one. Healing has been central to the Christian faith. Especially after Jesus' death and resurrection, when he sent the Holy Spirit to come upon believers at Pentecost. The power that was at work during Jesus' ministry did not end with his ascension into heaven. Previously, healing had been localised in a small area. But now, by faith and the Spirit's power, it had been released worldwide. There's been a tendency with the growth of knowledge, science and technology for human beings to place less dependency upon God. So often in the Western world, we look to medical science for the answer before considering prayer to the almighty God who created every cell in our bodies. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have an immune system. We have phagocytes that ingest microorganisms and cell debris. We have platelets to clot and seal cuts, preventing hemorrhage. We have osteoclasts to heal bone fractures. We have eyelashes and tear ducts to protect the surface of our eyes. We have nasal hairs to cleanse and warm the air as we breathe it in, protecting our lungs. We have nephrons in the kidneys to filtrate and purify the blood. <coughs> we have a heart to pump the blood to every part of our bodies. We have a brain, which is the most sophisticated control centre. And we have the most important self-regenerating packaging, the skin. To mention but a few of the systems that God created within us. He also gave us free will with which to love and trust him. Let me share how God humbled me. Many years ago, I suffered a severe whiplash injury as a result of a collision in our car. For six years, I lived with blinding headaches whenever my neck was subjected to bumps and jolts when travelling. My lifeline was our wonderful family doctor. He would come behind me and sort of hang me at the neck as he manipulated the vertebrae, relieving the pressure on the nerves and dispelling the headache. But after some time, I found God began talking to me about pride. You are too proud to ask me to heal you. 
Now, on a Friday, I used to volunteer at the Christian Bookshop on down Bilton Road. And this particular afternoon, I was suffering headache, and I mean headache. And so I resolved to make an appointment at the doctor's surgery, which was then located on the next street corner. But during the course of that afternoon, I had three strange encounters. A person walked into the shop, came straight to the counter and said, Have you ever asked God to heal you? No, I replied. I believe that healing is a kingdom sign. I know God's kingdom. I don't have to ask for healing for him to prove it to me. They looked me in the face and without a word left the shop. Later, a complete stranger entered the shop, came to the counter and asked me, have you ever asked God to heal you? <laughs> no, I replied, I believe healing to be a sign of God's kingdom. I know God's kingdom and he don't, I don't have to ask him for healing to prove it. They looked me in the face and left without a word. Still, later on, Alan entered the shop. Now, Alan was somebody who would come to the shop every Friday. He was very intense, probably on the autistic spectrum. He always had a burning question that he would debate for an hour or more until the shop closed. <laughs> this particular afternoon, he didn't take any time to come to the point. No, he approached the counter and, yes, you've guessed it, asked, have you ever asked God to heal you? By now I had my answer well rehearsed. <laughs> I replied, no, Alan, I believe healing to be a kingdom sign. I know God's kingdom, so I don't have to ask him to heal me to prove it. Here comes the debate, I thought. But no, Alan looked me in the face with an expression which said, that is the most stupid answer I have ever heard. <laughs> and to my utter amazement, he turned on his heel without uttering a single word and left the shop immediately. Never happened before. But even more amazing, is that after four years of seeing him every Friday, I have never, ever seen him again to this day. As the afternoon came to a close, I thought, I really must stop off at the doctor's and make that appointment. But upon reaching home that evening, I realised I had walked past the surgery without making the all-important appointment. I spent a restless and very painful night hearing God repeating, you are too proud to ask me to heal you. Next day, a group of us from church were going to a seminar on healing at St Andrew's, Chorley Wood. And after the talk, words of knowledge were given by different members present in the congregation. The very first word was, 
There is someone here who has been hit over the head with a metal implement. Immediately, I felt an unseen hand punch me in the solar plexus as God reminded me of the seven-year-old me being cracked over the head by my three-year-old cousin wielding a garden trowel as he shouted, You are being very naughty! It turned out that the daffodil bulbs that I was planting to help my uncle were in fact onion sets that had been left on the surface of the soil to dry out. <laughs> and my three-year-old cousin knew the difference. I didn't. As I recalled the headache that I was presently feeling, God showed that it was the same pain that I was suffering from the recurrent whiplash injury. Hence the word of knowledge about being hit over the head with this crack with a garden trowel. After many words had been given, we were invited to respond for prayer by raising our hands. I stood unattended for an age, and all the time God was repeating in my head, you are too proud to stand here with your hand in the air. Some time later, the person at the front invited us to go forward where there were lots of people waiting to pray with you. So I pushed my way past rows of strangers, but when I reached the front, there was no one available waiting to pray with me. They were all busy. And I stood at the front with God repeating in my head, you are too proud to stand here. Eventually, I, who had responded to the very first word of knowledge, was the very last person to receive prayer ministry. When asked about my word, I related about my six-year-old whiplash injury and also the picture and the pain of being hit over the head by my cousin wielding the garden trowel. So the ministering person assumed I wanted prayer to heal my neck. But I replied, no. I think God is telling me that I should ask for prayer to heal my pride. So she prayed as I had requested, and God healed my neck. As he said within my head, from Exodus 34, verse 9, this is a stiff-necked generation. Forgive our wickedness and sin. <laughs> I know that my neck was healed, because sometime later, I was in a congregation seeking the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and without any warning, I found myself falling backwards. And as my head struck the stone floor, my thoughts were, Oh no, my neck! Immediately, God replied in my head, What I have healed will not be undone. Another scenario I would like to share about healing, involved the young son of friends of ours. He was at junior school, and being an athletic lad, at school he had an accident, whereby he suffered injury to his cervical vertebrae. He was immobilised at Northwick Park Hospital, where he was fretting and not responding to treatment. The consultant suggested that if the family could keep him perfectly still, he might benefit by spending the weekend at home, where he might be encouraged to start eating again. 
And so it happened that this particular weekend, the church had arranged to step out in faith and hold a healing service. Never done it before. During the day, young Al kept talking to his mum about the service that was going to be held that Saturday night. Mum, do you think Jesus would heal me if I went to the service? Um, possibly, dear, but it's not for children. It's for adults, Mum replied. Later, when his dad came in from work, he asked how his son had been. Mum mentioned that he'd been asking questions about the healing service. Dad went upstairs and checked in at the bedroom and asked whether Al wanted to go to the service. Upon receiving a vigorous, yes, please, Daddy, his dad very gently cradled him in his arms, walked him the few yards down to the church, just as the service had finished. Meeting my husband, Brian, his dad asked whether Brian would pray for Al. Now, this was a first. Healing was not Brian's gifting, but however, not wishing to disappoint the little boy, Brian took a breath and prayed something along the lines of, Dear Jesus, please touch Al's neck and heal it. Amen. His dad then very carefully carried his son the few yards back home. But halfway, the little boy made a noise. Worried that his son was in pain, Dad asked what was wrong. To be told, Daddy, there's a hand inside this funny thing that's round my neck. He was wearing a cervical collar to immobilise him. And the hand's pulling at my neck. Upon reaching home, little Al promptly told his parents that he didn't want to wear this thing round his neck. Very concerned, his parents said, we're not taking that collar off. If you want it off, you've got to take it off, thinking, no way. But immediately, Al removed the collar and proceeded to turn somersaults all round the living room. <laughs> all signs of paralysis totally gone. Amen. Two days later, the family returned to hospital to see the consultant. Horrified, the consultant protested vehemently at the sight of the little boy without wearing a cervical collar. To which young Al responded, as he drew himself up to his full height, I'm not going to wear your silly collar. I went to church for prayer and Jesus healed me, so there. <laughs> I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in that consulting room when tests revealed no sign of any injury to the vertebrae of his neck. Praise the Lord for the simplistic faith of a young child. Suffer the little children to come to me, said Jesus to his disciples, and forbid them not. Who are we to say who deserves healing? Let us take a warning from that. With Jesus, healing does not become restricted to any section of society. Young, old, whoever. 
So, when we pray for people to be healed, do we feel that our prayers are going unanswered? No. The answer to our prayers may not be what we're expecting, or possibly what we're hoping for. God moves in mysterious ways known only to him. Do we understand what we are asking him for and what the implications might be? We might ask that somebody be perfectly healed and they die. Perfect healing is only possible when we are freed from all the dangers and restrictions of this world and go to the place that Jesus has prepared for us in heaven. Remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he still had to die again. Remember in the opening of our thoughts this morning where Adam and Eve disobeyed God by eating from the forbidden tree and sickness and death became the consequences. Whatever happens in our life, we cannot avoid dying. It's part of what God put in the new rules. In our, is our concept of healing too narrow? If so, we fail to see how God can work for good in all circumstances. Illness restricts our life. We're finding that. But it can open up time to develop relationships. It can prepare our hope for letting go of this life with its now unattainable aspirations and enable us to be willing to look forward to trusting in God and the promises of a life free from pain and sadness and rejoicing in the wonder of eternity spent with him in heaven. Old age can produce this effect too. Our prayers for healing may be on our conditions, total and now. God's healing may be delayed or moderated in accordance with the desired effect that he knows is necessary for the well-being of the sufferer. The body is disposable, but the soul is infinitely precious. The school of suffering can teach many deeply spiritual lessons that prepare us for life with him in eternity. I know that God heals. I was told to ask for healing, but he also healed me in an area of my life of which I was unaware. I prayed for others, but he took them home to be with him. However, he gave me understanding of the painful future from which he had delivered them. I have learnt the peace of relinquishing the answer to my prayers to the wisdom of the Creator God who loves us. I believe that God heals, even though I may not understand what I ask for. He understands the best healing, regardless of the present circumstances. And I give thanks to God for my mustard seed faith. Amen. Amen.